Hey, come on, let's give the Lord a big shout. Come on, you do better than that. I haven't been gone that long. Hey, uh, I, I just want to say thank you as a community of faith. We've um, had so many well wishes. People stopping by the house. Um, that, that, that's not traditional to, that people know where the pastor live because that can be crazy <laughs> after a while. But it's been good. There's so many people knocking on the door, dropping goods off. And we got more medical supplies than I know what to do with. Amen. Don't bring any more medical supplies. We're good. <laughs> so just so you know, um, we've gone through COVID in our family. Uh, my daughter had it, and then my daughter and, and that, that was pregnant, eight months, um, got it, as well as my son-in-law. She's got lupus, which makes it a whole nother thing. And so uh, she had to give birth, emergency C-section on Thursday, because not because of COVID, but because of preeclampsia. Um, they took the baby. The baby was four pounds, one ounce, and 16 inches. She actually is the biggest baby in the NICU presently. And so, um, yeah, go ahead, give the Lord, I mean, that's, you know, one of the things my wife did is the other morning, Coco's there, we're the only two in our family vaccinated, so Coco is able to be with the baby, see the baby, hold the baby, and so one of the things that she did the other morning, she just sent me a text, gave me a report about everything, everybody's progressing well, the baby's doing excellently, and Keisha's feeling a ton better, although as a mom, she wants to be with her baby, and so she's just got to get well enough to do that, amen? But one of the things that she texted me, and I, we practice this as a family because we've gone through some tough times as a, as a group. But every, every morning, whenever we're going through something, we usually send a group text out to say, okay, what are we thankful for today, right? Because it's easy to just get underneath the circumstances, whatever they are, and just keep nursing, rehearsing that. But when, how many know when you can start seeing what God is doing and being thankful for things in the middle of suffering. How I many you know it doesn't change the it doesn't change the circumstances, but it does change something on the inside of you. Amen. And I just want to say big shout out to Jason Abello for obeying his pastor and reading Ruth chapter reading through the book of Ruth and being ready at it was literally, I think it was like nine o'clock at night when I called him and he's I said, Hey, what are you doing? He was like, uh nothing. I said, Oh, hmm. Wanna to preach tomorrow? And he's like got deadly quiet, just nothing on the other side. And I said, well, you know, think about it, call me back. And he called me back and, you know, thank God for him and Dave Kelly. Can you just give them a big hand this morning and just thank them? It's been a blessing. Um, we, are, we are not here alone. We are not doing this alone. It is a team effort. I don't feel like I have to preach every message, be at every meeting. I trust my team. God assembled them. He gave them to us. And so I'm glad that you received them well as, as well. And so I've got, today is Mission Sunday, and uh, I'm not Pastor Coco, as you can tell, but she sent me a text message, and I better make sure that I get the information right. Those of you that don't know, we have a missionary, a family that is in Poland. Say Poland. It's a long way from here. They will be here in service with us on June 11th. They will be in the country and in the Portland area from June 5th to June 28th. Those of you that have supported, those of you who have given through the years to keep uh, Alexis and uh, Travis in Poland, thank God, when, uh, thank God for doing that. It is incredible what God is doing. We want to see that work done. And just so you know, when you're starting to be a missionary, you're in another country, you're in another culture, it's important that when you come home, people make you feel like you're at home. Amen? So when we identify them, put them on the stage, some of you have never seen them. We should have a picture up, and I didn't 
do that in time enough for last week. I apologize, it's not our team, it's on me. But when we put their picture up in the next couple of weeks and Sundays, you will see them. Make sure that you give them a hug. It is okay to hug them, amen? Love on them, take them to coffee, bless them. And not only that, but remember, we're going to be introducing about five other missions projects um, over the next couple of weeks that we're going to be doing globally. We're going to be partnering with organizations and individuals that are doing work overseas. And, and just so you know, you may never get to one of these countries. You may say, man, I'm not, I'm not interested in going. I got you. But still sow a seed in these offerings on the first Sunday of the month because what you are doing is you are allowing us to furnish and resource and take care of families and individuals across the country. Like, for instance, in Nigeria, did you know that water is life-saving? Water is life. And so one of the things that we get to do is we take a portion of our money here and give to an organization in Nigeria, Pastor Isaac, and bless him so that he can begin. What we do is when planting churches, we start with a water well, and around that well comes community, and out of that community, the love of God is displayed in a practical way. How many know you can't hear God loves you when your children are dying from waterborne diseases? Can't hear that God loves you when you can't cook and eat? food while your stomach's growling, but we want to take care of practical needs because in doing that, you ascribe dignity to people, value to them, and then they get to see in a practical way that God loves them. Amen? And so every month at the first of the month, I know you give your offerings and different things. I want you to make sure that you pray. Notice what I said. Say pray. pray. I'm not going to ever get up and manipulate and emotionally move you to do anything, but you should be praying and saying, God, should we give $50 a month, 100 a month, or whatever you're able to do to make sure that the missions fund stays active so we can keep being a blessing globally? We're doing stuff locally, and we're going to do more and more stuff as the years roll out, but we want to make sure that we stay globally engaged as well. Amen? How many ready for the word this morning? All right. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Ruth chapter 4. If you've got an iPad, a phone, whatever you've got, make sure you take a look at that for me, and uh, we're gonna, you can follow along with us. Um, so the first thing I wanna do is I wanna say, contextually, when you go back and you take the 30,000 foot view of Israel, the time period, remember what we said at the beginning of the series some weeks ago, the time period that this takes place is the dark time in the nation of Israel. In, in the book of Judges, chapter 21, it says this in verse 25, it says in those days, in the days that Ruth and Naomi would have lived in this context of their culture, it says that Israel in those days had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So this is the nation of Israel, God's people falling away from God, doing what they think they ought to do in their own eyes, what they think ought to happen and how they should live their lives, conduct their affairs and their businesses. Now, all of us do the same thing from time to time, and it doesn't work out for us either. But, but here's what Proverbs 14 and 12 says. It says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's always a way that you and I want to conduct our lives, our sexuality, spend our money, whatever it is. There's always a way that we think in our finite thinking. Think about that for a minute. In our finite thinking, there's always a way that appears to be right. But, but how many of you have ever got involved in something at the beginning, it looked a certain way, but by the time you got into the middle of it, it did not work out the way you thought it would because things switched and moved? Here, here's the thing that you need to know about God. When you honor God and you honor his word and you live underneath the authority of scriptures, that never changes. 
God never changes. There's not more truth to come to you to live by. It is contained in the Scriptures. If you and I will live by the Scriptures, live the way that God told us, not the way that we think, not the way that the culture says it's okay. The culture says, hey, by the way, if you, you, know, you, you love her, he loves you, just live together. That's not what the Bible says. That's not how we're supposed to conduct our affairs. There's a way that seems right, but therein lies the way that ends up in death. And so we want to make sure that we prosper, that we're fruitful, that we're blessed, and the way to do that is to honor God and do it the way that he prescribes, even if it costs you something. Come on, somebody. How many know that values aren't really values until you bleed for them? And you can say you trust God and you follow God until you have to pay a price for following him. It may cost you friends. It may cost you relationships. Whatever it'll cost you, pay that price. Stay in alignment with God so that you do things his way. Because ultimately, maybe not in the short run it doesn't look like it, but ultimately God's ways are always best. Amen? There's an old show. I'm going to age myself now. Some of you are old enough to know called Father Knows Best. Come on, y'all. If you're old enough to know what that is, clap real quick. It'd be five of you. Oh. <laughs> that was funny, by the way. And so let's get into the first section I want to deal with. First 12 verses is Boaz in the city gates. Let's look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm going to read about 12 verses, maybe not that much. We'll get the gist of it, and then we'll bounce out of it. It says this, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. Underline that in your scripture. Highlight it. Do something with it. We're going to come back to it. And sat down there just as the guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer or nearer relative he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of these elders. So, so here's what's happening. When, when somebody died, their inheritance could be lost if there wasn't somebody else to come up and bring it and, and, bring, and have children and possess that land and pass that inheritance on from generation to generation. And so when someone died, the nearest relative of that man would come in, marry that man's wife, raise up children. I know in our culture, that sounds a little West Virginia-ish. Come on, somebody. But in their culture, this is the way it was done, and it was normal, and it was right, and it was the honor and privilege of the man who would take up this particular kinsman redeemer role and redeem the family. Now, you will remember that Naomi and Ruth lost their husbands. Ruth, Naomi lost her husband and both her sons, and both of them would have been widows, destitute, economically challenged, and not sure where they would go from there. No inheritance. Women were not allowed to inherit the land, that type of thing. And so this kinsman redeemer role is essential. And Boaz wants to fulfill this role, so, but he's not the nearest relative. And so this man he's talking to in the verse is the nearest relative, and he begins to tell him, that he wants to buy him, but he has the right to do it. Now, if you skip down into verse 3, it says this. Then he said to the near kinsman redeemer, knowing me who has come back, so we know from traveling Nehemiah, I mean, uh, Ruth chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, we know that she has come back to the Bethlehem area from the land of Moab. They were driven there because of a famine, you'll remember in chapter 1. And because of that, she's coming home. But she's not coming home the way that she left. She went, she said that I left full and I'm coming back empty. 
And she ascribes, and I want you to get this, all that has befallen her life, she blames God for. She says, God has done this to me. God has, his hand is bitterly against me, and again and again, and even so much so, she doesn't even want to be called Naomi anymore. As I said, Nene, hello, somebody. She doesn't want to be called Naomi anymore. She wants to be called Mara, which means bitter one. And so she was named Pleasant One, but now she wants to be bitter. And here's what I want to say to you. Now she wants to be identified as bitter. You, you have to be careful not to let the circumstances and the situations of your life become your identity. Come on, somebody. That, that I'm the one that went through this, that going through it, it doesn't mean that it's your identity. Are you hearing me? That sometimes you can struggle with a thing so long that it, you almost become synonymous with that struggle. People start identifying you by your struggle rather than your identity in Christ. It's important that you not allow a situation that is temporal become a permanent identity mark in your life. Is that okay? That's just for free. I'll find something. You're like, hold on for a minute. And so in these city gates, I want to show you. He talked about being in the city gates. I want to show you a modern picture of some city gates. And I think it is Jerusalem. This is, if you remember, in the Near Eastern culture, they would always, if an empire would build a wall to protect the inhabitants of their city. And sometimes, like in Babylon, the walls would be thick and you can run chariots on the top of them. But in this particular case, you see that is the city gate. It is what you would think it is. It is an entry and an exit point. But it is more than that in their culture. In our culture, it just would be we're going out and we're coming in. That's nothing to it. Well, yes, people would go out and come in. People that lived in the hillside would come in to do business in the city and vice versa. And so, but as you can see at these city gates, it's like a little marketplace there. It's like what we have on Saturday mornings in our street market here. That would be that place where commerce was done, where people would trade and sell goods. But it was more than that. It was a place where the city leaders, the elders would gather as well. Leave it up for a second longer for me. It is a place where the city elders would gather and meetings and disputes and justice was meted out and disputes against one another would be handled and they would execute judgment there in those places. Not only that, but it would be a place where prophetic words were written, uh, were spoken, that, that if there was a prophetic word, a prophet would come to the elders and the leaders of the town and that would be a place where they would proclaim the word of the Lord. Okay, you can take it down now. And so if you'll remember in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Peter gives a declaration about who Jesus Jesus is. And Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell, what is he talking about? The power center or the leadership council or the power of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, I wish that the church would get that and understand that because everything that I'm hearing in the culture about our country and about the church is negative and the left this has got this and the right is doing that. And I don't care what the left or the right is doing. I care about what the church is doing. We're supposed to have a prophetic voice into our generation. And therefore, if you would proclaim, thus saith the Lord, over our land rather than what CNN or Fox or whoever you listen to, if we were proclaim the word of the Lord, we would see the Lord's dominion established in our country. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. Mm -hmm. The gates of hell will not prevail or overcome the church. Whatever the church is, it is in the moment. And how many of you know we're a mixed bag? Come on, somebody. Because you're special. Come on. You're part of the church and you're special. So whenever I hear people say things like this, watch this, Ashley, they say stuff like, well, the church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, you're right. What else you got? Well, the church is this and the church is that and the church is this and the church is that. I'm like, yep, you're right. It's all of that. It is. It's, a, it's full of human beings. 
So of course it's full of brokenness. Of course it's full of people at various stages of healing and recovery and restoration. And guess what? In all of that, God is working and building and knitting a beautiful mosaic out of all of these fractured people and all of these fractured stories. God is knitting something beautiful together. And Jesus said, the gates, the leadership of hell would not prevail against it. Now give the Lord a big hand clap. Come on. But you must not forget that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, too, and that there are gateways and entry points that the enemy wants to make into your soul. That it's important that you realize that the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in this building. That's why, you know, at a certain point last year, I get the understanding that we want to gather together, we want to be together. There's something powerful about us being together. Isn't that right? But, but what the Lord taught us last year is that we have relied too much on the stage and all of this and have neglected Neglected being the church wherever we go. And so all of the churches were closed last year, including this one. And you know what I found? People were growing in their faith as a result of the adversity. Did you know that you don't grow as much in prosperous times as you do in adversity? That all of a sudden, I wasn't there to pray for you. You had to pray for yourself. We weren't there to teach your children. You had to teach your children yourself. We weren't there to answer all of your questions. You had to start going to the Lord and praying and doing things and living in community and trusting people down the street to help you get toilet paper. Come on, somebody. We had all of these things, all of these challenges, and God used all of that to grow us. Nobody wants to hear that one. Look at that. Eh. Nobody wants to say, because nobody wants to go through a difficult time. Nobody wants to go through adversity. But I'll guarantee you, I'm looking out in my backyard right now, and nothing grows without rain. Nothing grows without moisture. You need some rain in your life to shape your, your heart, your culture, to shape, to shape the inner value system that you have. You need adversity like I need it in my life. Why? Because adversity does what? Drives you to greater dependency on the Lord. That's only, see, they talking. Y'all not going to talk? You're more dependent on the Lord in those moments of adversity. You're less, watch this, you're less prideful and arrogant and presumptive and think you know everything. In those moments, you get emptied out of all of that, and then you get full of the spirit of the Lord. Come on. So, so Boaz does something I think that's really cool is he takes the initiative to redeem uh, Ruth and Naomi, and, and, and it, Boaz is a type and a shadow of Jesus. So you see him in the Old Testament as a kinsman redeemer, and it starts making sense. He's the nearest relative to Naomi, so he's going to redeem her. He's got to buy her. He's got he's to take the initiative. He's taking initiative here the same way that God took initiative to redeem you and I. How many know you weren't coming to God? You weren't trying to come to church. God was coming after you. Come on, somebody. God was running after you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You weren't coming to him. You weren't trying to hear God. God was coming and taking initiative all along to restore you back to him. That's why you should never be somebody that's hard to be reconciled with. You should never be somebody that's like giving people the silent treatment, hard to be reconciled. Why? Because God doesn't do that to you. The minute that you want to be reconciled, the minute that you understand that you're separated from God, God receives your repentance, puts you back in right relationship, and we want to put people in our silent chamber. Come on, somebody. Don't do that. Be easy to be reconciled. God, the minute that you repent, God receives you. 
brings you back into right relationship with him. He doesn't keep you, say, okay, we're going to put you on a trial basis for the first 30 days to see if you're really going to serve me. That's not what he does. He puts you right in good relationship with him right away. And so Boaz, in a lot of ways, is a typology and a picture of Christ, the way he takes initiative. How about this? How about the way that he obeys the law? In this particular case, Boaz is fulfilling all the requirements of the law by bringing the elders. In fact, in this verse, it says that he took 10 elders, which 10 elders would have to hear land conveyances, marriages, and divorces. They would have to be particularly 10 elders there. And so he has the elders there. He's fulfilling the law of Moses the same way that Jesus fulfilled the law fully when he redeemed you and I. You can see the type. You can draw the line back and forth between the two of them and see that Jesus is the actual incarnation of Boaz in complete form, amen, as the Christ. And so there, there's this idea that you and I, so then when you look at the incarnation of Jesus, it looks a little bit different to you now because now you understand why it was necessary for God to become a man if he was going to be a kinsman redeemer, a near relative of yours. He had to have a human body and a human experience to represent you and I. So good. Isn't Jesus good? I'm going to do, do, say, say mm, good. See, y'all crazy. Y'all missed me. That's all. That, y'all just did that because y'all missed me. And so, but, but what happens, I want you to see this. In verse, uh, in verse 5, actually in verse 4, it says this, I thought I should bring the matter. Boy, said, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy the, the land, in other words, in the presence of these seated, the elders, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me. And I will know, for, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. So then the man says, I will redeem it. And then Boaz says, well, not so fast. I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're not just getting the land. You're getting Ruth and Naomi. Come on, somebody. And so the man says, uh, maybe not. I don't know about you. I love my mother-in-law. I don't want her to live with me. Come on, somebody. It's one thing to marry Ruth. It's another thing to marry Ruth. And Naomi. They both are coming. He's getting the land and the two ladies. And, and, and I don't know, you know, the scriptures are real quiet. Commentators and scholars are real quiet because nobody knows why he didn't. Nobody can actually tell you why he didn't want Ruth and Naomi. He wanted the land, but he didn't want the ladies. He didn't want the added responsibility. Now, maybe it was, Simona, maybe it was because he wasn't as wealthy as, as Boaz was. Maybe he didn't have the money that Boaz had to redeem and take care of this now added responsibility with the family. We don't know how many wives he already had. We don't know how many children, but maybe that was an extra burden that Boaz could carry that he couldn't. We don't know. Or, uh, you know, maybe he had already figured out how he was going to divide the inheritance for his family and he didn't want to start another family. It's all of these speculative things. But enough to say this, I can say this, that Boaz saw a blessing where this man saw a burden. Boaz saw it as a blessing. This man saw it as a burden. Do, do you realize that God sees you as a blessing and not a burden? That's like five of you. Come on. I said that God sees you as a blessing and not a burden. Do you hear me? That, that, that so much so, so much are you a blessing that he said, wait, wait, I want to be, 
I want to be in relationship with Michelle, and, and I'm estranged, and she's got sin in her life, and, and I can't because I'm pure and I'm holy, and if I come into her presence, it would, be de- it would mean death to her. So I've got to, I've, we've got to do something. I've got to redeem her because she has great value to me, and she may not think she has value because of everything she's done in her life and where she's been and all these things, and she may not see her own intrinsic value, but I, God, see the value because I deposited it within her, and maybe all the accoutrements of her life and all the brokenness of her life and all the disappointment appointment of a life has obscured that, but I see it, and I want to pray, pay a high price for it called my son. I, I want to say this to ladies, but I also want you men to listen to. The culture has a specific battle against my sisters, against the ladies, the ladies, those of you that can give birth to images of God, those of you that, that, listen, every human being that comes into the planet must pass through the womb of a woman. So there's an, there is a unique battle and warfare aimed at you ladies that is different because you bring more image bearers into the earth to worship, potentially to worship God, and the devil has arrayed himself in a specific battle against you as women. I want you to hear that. And so herein lies why I think it is necessary for you to understand that you are of great value, immeasurable value, so much so that God paid the ultimate price for you ladies. Oh, that's like five ladies? Come on. You know why? Because so much of the culture tells you you're not big enough, you're not an eight, you're a 12, you're a six, you're a 12, 14, 20, whatever your size is, is the wrong size. You don't have the right hair, you don't have the right do, you don't pose the right way, you don't put your leg up the right, all of this stuff. And it starts getting on the inside of you. Those messages started getting on the inside of you. I'm not smart enough. I don't cook enough. I don't clean enough. I don't, and it's always not enough with ladies. And I noticed this because I got two adult daughters, young adult daughters, and I'm like, you're beautiful. You're like, yeah, but you're my dad. I'm like, yeah, but I can see. Hello, somebody. <laughs> and it's so hard. It's so hard for you to sometimes believe that. And if you're a man here and you never had your dad put his arm around you, tell him he's proud of you, love you, all of those kind of things, then you start walking around this world trying to look for validation. You look for validation through conquest with women and validation through how much money I make, what I drive, what I wear. How shallow is all of that? Rather than just knowing my intrinsic worth and value, which God has subscribed to me, and my identity is not in what I wear, what I drive, what I look like. I live that life already. It's so much better when you recognize that you belong to God. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. And you know what? Whenever my kids were little and they were around me, they would say, that's my daddy. Because I was that dad. I'd hurt somebody over my children. Come on, somebody. And so, and my nieces and nephews, too, they know that, too. And so, but, but there, there's just that sense. And how much more you as an adult, wouldn't it be great if you just walked around? Now, you can't say it out loud, but wouldn't it be great if you just started walking around and said, I know who my daddy is. <laughs> father God is my, I know who my daddy is. I, listen, I may not know who my earthly father is, and I may be estranged, and I may be rejected, and I may have gotten adopted, and maybe somebody didn't want me after the divorce, but I know who my heavenly father is, and I'm his child. Come on. 
Boaz saw a blessing where another man saw a burden. I will never forget that. I wrote that down. That's mine. I, that ain't from some other preacher. That's mine. So I'm keeping that. That belongs to me. Hello, somebody. And so he marries Ruth, and in verse 13 it says this, So Boaz took Ruth into his home. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord, now listen to what it says. Why is it saying that to us? The Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Well, there's a reason for that. If you go back to chapter 1, you'll find that, that Ruth was married to her husband for 10 years and never had a child. There was barrenness. Come on, come on, mother, you know. She was barren. There was a reproach on her life. And so the scripture says God enabled her to now have a baby. Now, you got to go back to the depths of chapter 1 to really appreciate chapter 4. Chapter 1 is dark. We open it up with, with famine. We open it up with compounded grief with Naomi losing her, the men in her family, Ruth losing her husband, them traveling back from Moab to, to Bethlehem area, and, and now Naomi coming in town. Everybody's excited about her, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with it because she feels like the hand of God has been against her all this time. Now, I want you to remember that. Why? Because in this moment, Naomi gets restored to full joy. I want you to see something in the verse, because this is where I live right now, and some of you live here too. Listen to what it says. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him in her breast. <laughs> Naomi, the one who had lost her husband and her two sons and did not see any hope or future for herself, is now holding Simona, her grandbaby, cuddling her grandbaby. I want to show you a couple pictures of Coco and Lala because Coco and Lala have this bond, and this, this is when she was little, and you can see how big her head is, her, baby, her body grew into it, thank God. Um, <laughs> And, and, and that, that, that would, let's leave that for a minute. I, I want you to look at Coco's face, not so much Lala's. But, but look at the smile. I don't see my wife smile. She don't smile like that looking at me. I'm just saying. And I've been around 33 years. This chick only been around four years. Hello, somebody. But there is something, I, I don't know, something happened. Mom, something happened to her when she became a grandparent. And my daughter will tell you that, that, that her mom is different because she don't discipline that child. Come on, somebody. That, that child gets no, listen, leave it up there just for a minute. That child does not hear the word no. That child walks in. My wife can be dead tired from working all day and everything else. That child walks in the house and says, Grammy, I want to go out to the garden. Let's play in the garden. And up she goes. And I'm like, babe, can I get dinner? You do it yourself. And she's out in the garden. I started looking at that picture earlier today or earlier this week, and I couldn't help but think about Naomi. Because remember, she didn't think that any of this was ever going to be possible. Never going to be possible. Ruth's coming with her, but Ruth's a widow, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. And she says, nothing good, basically nothing's good is going to happen. And all of a sudden now, in chapter 4, now remember what I said to you earlier. We're reading the story. Hello, online family. 
We're reading the story, chapter four chapters. You can read four chapters in less than an hour. They live this. Without the idea, without knowing, we got the spoiler alert, we got the full version. We knew what was going to happen in the end. If you read it like I asked you to over and over again, you knew. She didn't know. And so while these ladies are talking about all of this pleasant stuff happening to her, this has got to be like the most joyous moment, unexpected joy. And all I'm here to tell you is it may be dark today. It may be horrible today. It may not look like there's any way out today. Nothing good can ever happen from today. But I'm here to tell you that behind the scenes, God is working it out for your good. Trust me. Trust me. So, so let's run through a, a couple lessons that I think you could carry away. Lesson number one, if you're taking notes, lesson number one, there's always hope in the direst of circumstances in life. There's always, say always. always. No, you got to say it more vigorous than that. Say always. always. There's always more happening and something can change. It's temporal. And even if it doesn't change, your circumstances here may never change, but your eternal inheritance is unfazed and you will live again and you have a hope beyond this life. Hear me when I tell you, look at me for a minute. Please do not anchor all of your hopes in this world, what you drive, what you live in, what you wear, how much money you got in the bank, what's your retirement look like, all of that stuff. Please do not anchor your hopes in this world. Please have your ultimate hopes anchored in Christ eternally. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. Please, so that when adversity hits, and it will, I wish that I could tell you that, that being in Christ, Jared, is some kind of get out of free jail, get out of jail free card from Monopoly. It is not. And you say, well, I see bad things happening to good people, and this, yes, bad things are happening in my family right now. Bad things happen to good people all the time. Because we live, you say, well, why is God doing it? Wait, 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 wait. God established, go read Genesis 1 and 2. God established a perfect place for man to live, gave him a boundary, which he rebelled against, and set things in motion. So God didn't do this to us. And by the way, if you looked at your life, God didn't do that to you either. There's certain things that we got in that the only person you could blame, you got to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I kind of did that one, yeah, that's on me. I rebelled. I knew better. How many of you got yourself into some situations in life through your own stubbornness and rebellion? Just wave. Come on, online, just wave. Just wave. Because we know it's you too. Come on, right? And we blame God. No. Naomi said, <laughs> Ruth said, and, and actually Naomi said in Ruth chapter 1, she says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then she says these words, call me Mara or bitter. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi anymore? The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. And I would just say there's always more than meets the eye. There's always more going on than you can see. How many of you know that God is infinitely wise, that, that he knows, and he's knitting the story together? Romans 8 and 28 says this, and now we know that all things, all things God works for the good of those who love him. I didn't say that all things were good. That's not what I said. I said that God will work it for your good ultimately if you let him. 
if you surrender it to him. And, 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 and here's the thing that I don't want you to miss about Naomi. And now, now, Ruth is a Moabite. She is not from the synagogue. She doesn't know about the law of Moses. She didn't grow up with the covenants. She didn't grow up with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She doesn't know any of this. All that she is learning, she is learning through her relationship with Naomi. Are you hearing me? And Naomi is falling apart and doesn't seem to have any faith. And I think that's a good thing, Simona. I think that's a really good thing. You know why? Because I'm sick of fake Christianity. Where, where you act like, like, like you act like you're not broken, you're not sad, you're not weak, you don't want to be vulnerable, you don't want anybody to know that you have questions of your faith, or you don't want anybody to know that you're sitting in church right now, but you're really mad at God because God hasn't come through, you're not married, you didn't have children, whatever that is, you're angry with God. And I'm telling you that God is big enough and bad enough to handle you. And if you would just be authentic, if you would just be authentic, you will find the grace of God meets you right at the point of your need. Not only that, but people who don't know God will begin to see you as a real, living, breathing example. Even when you're a mess, that might be good because some people have only saw these Christians as perfect and they didn't want to come into church or be a part of the community of faith because they thought they needed to be perfect. So then you hear people saying stuff like, I'm going to clean my life up before I come to church. You know where that idea came from? It came from looking at the church and everybody in all of their suit and ties and all polished and put together and people that don't have those kind of clothes, don't have that kind of money, don't drive those kind of cars, felt like they couldn't belong. Which is why I wear tennis shoes most Sundays and why I wear holes in my jeans. Yes, I bought these jeans like this. It's the craziest thing ever, come on. My grandfather is in heaven looking over the balcony of heaven. Can't believe that boy bought those jeans. They got holes in them. I could have tore his jeans for free. But when I go to the barbershop and I sit down in the barber's chair and the barber says stuff like, man, my pastor is like the coolest dude ever. He ain't like no other pastor. He different. He got tennis shoes, and he's just a real dude. When, that, when I hear that, there's a part of me that says, that's, that's good. I like that. And then there's another part of me that says, how many Christians have he, has he ran up on that wasn't real like Naomi, that wasn't authentic, that didn't cheer for the ducks? Come on. I had to do it. Number two, number two, lesson. There's always a provision of grace to empower us to endure. Hear me when I say it. There's always a provision of God's grace to help you endure whatever it is you're going through right now. Paul said these words. Listen, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is, is in a battle. There are these so-called super apostles that are challenging his authority to lead the church. And so... Paul has to deal with this, and they're boasting about their signs and their wonders. Paul has multiple visions and multiple revelations that is said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And for 14 years, he never even tells anybody. And, Jer and Jared, if you're careful, you'll read that in the text and realize, wait a minute, Paul doesn't mention these visions and dreams anywhere else in his writings, and they're not prominent even among the Corinthian church. And in fact, he doesn't even mention himself in reference to these visions and dreams that he had. He says, I know a man, speaks about himself in the third person. So he doesn't use it as bravado. So, so then 
What does he do to combat these super apostles and people challenging him? He uses his weakness. Listen to what the scripture says. It's kind of funny to me, counter, counterintuitive. So he said this, so to keep me from becoming proud because of these revelations, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is sufficient or is all you need and my power works best in weakness. So, okay, I know you don't want to appear weak and I know you as a man don't want to appear soft. But what I'm trying to tell you is that every now and then the circumstances of life is going to pin your tail down and you're going to say, I give. You're going to tap out. It hurts too bad. The loss is too great. The pain is too great. And in that moment, what I'm trying to tell you, because you learned all this false masculinity bravado that I got to be strong and beat on my chest the whole time. And I got you. We want you to be a man. We don't want you to be a woman. But at the same time, you need to recognize that you are limited. And, just, and, and every now and then, God will remind you of your limitations by allowing some circumstances to buffet your life that make you say, Lord, I need help. I'm, I'm weak. Help me. And he said in those moments, my power is perfected in you. There's a grace that comes to empower you so that you can endure what otherwise you would succumb to. So I'm here to tell you that wherever you are this morning, and whatever you're going through, online family, whatever you're going through, wherever you are, I'm here to tell you that in your weakened state, you are closer to the power of God than you would be with your ego and all your bravado and all your Christian colloquialisms where you tell people, I'm blessed and highly favored, and you don't believe it. And you say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Praise the Lord. How are you? It would be great if you just came. You know what you ought to do? You ought to just shock the next person that asks you how you doing on a bad day. You should just tell them. Life sucks. <laughs> you want to know how bad? I can tell you. Got an hour? You ought to just be real sometimes. Just say, hey, do you, or, or don't do that. Just say, do you really want to know? Do you, and here, how about this one? Do you have time to listen? Because I'm not going to unzip my soul and start sharing if you're not even really interested in knowing. Right? But wouldn't it be great if you just acknowledged it before the Lord at least? Because you might as well stop lying to God in your prayers. He knows when you're praying things that you don't believe. He knows when you're praying things that you don't really ever expect him to do. So it would be great if you just were honest with the Lord and honest with people around you so that they would learn what authentic Christianity looks like. And it doesn't look like I got all of the answers all the time. I got all of the solutions all the time. I got a scripture for everything. Sometimes you hurt so much like I did last year from being isolated and cut off. I hate it. Listen to me. You got messages through a camera. I hated standing on this stage or sitting or sitting in that foyer looking at a camera without you in the room. Hated every minute of it. And one particular night, I had to go in again the next day, and I just started weeping. I was like, God, I miss everybody. I didn't even get to meet anybody. And I just was gutted over the isolation of my own life. And you know what happened? I felt the presence of the Lord, the grace of God. I felt like I could come in and preach, and I did. And I went back home, and Coco said, how are you doing? I was like, I don't know. It feels good. <laughs> I don't know what happened last, between last night and this morning. 
I feel like I'm great. I was singing a country song the night before. Now I got an old school R&B song this morning. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. It's awesome. All right. Lastly, let me, let me say this. Keep your character strong because you never know who's watching. You never know who's watching. We, this is this true story, this true fact. We were sitting, Seth, uh, Keisha was, was giving birth, but Seth couldn't get in the hospital because he's got COVID. So he couldn't bear to stay at home. So he's like, Dad, I'm going to just sit outside the hospital. I'm like, son, you're not going to be able to get in the hospital. They're not going to let you in because of COVID. He's like, I just got to be close to where they are, which is my son-in-law. That's my son-in-law. So he's sitting outside. Emmanuel ends up arriving. He ends up in the neighborhood. They're sitting outside. Then I'm like, oh, I can't stay home. They're... So we're all sitting outside the hospital. And all of a sudden, this lady comes out. And she's, she's got a mask on. She's a nurse. She said, Pastor Keith. I'm like, yeah, who are you? Not even going to this church, I promise you, it's from 15 years ago when I lived in Eugene. And she happens to work at the hospital, and she said, I recognize your voice, or something like that. So we were talking kind of loud. Well, Emmanuel was, not me. <laughs> I'm not loud. You know that. I'm very dignified, and my voice is very, come on. My wife always says, we hear you before we see you, always. <laughs> it's the truth. But, but we're sitting there, and she recognizes me. She's not even my friend. She's a friend of Keith Jr.'s who knows me. Obviously, he knows me. And I thought to myself, I told Emmanuel right there, I said, it's a good thing we weren't acting a fool out here. You never know who's watching. <laughs> no, it was just one of them, wasn't it? It was just like one of them reminded. I mean, we weren't doing anything. But, but Seth was trying to think about breaking in the hospital and going upstairs and all kinds of crazy stuff. You're going to get everybody locked up. I'm going to get locked up there. What did PK do? It's like me. It's my son. He's crazy. <laughs> but you never know who's watching you. You want your character to be intact. Young people always worry about their calling. I'm called by God. I don't care what you're called to do. Your character will take you where you need to go. Your character will cause you to arrive at the appointed place with the appointed people at the right time. Don't worry about your daggone calling. It's not your calling that you need to worry about. It's your character. That's what sustains you. That's what gives you a good name. That's what gave Ruth a good name. Isn't it funny that Boaz knew about Ruth, had heard about her, and knew that she was a virtuous woman and a loyal woman? He had heard. So, so my question to you before I close this morning is what is your reputation? Because you all have one. In your circle of influence, your friends, Wherever you are, you've got people that know you for something, know about you because of the way you live your life. And they'll say either, like they used to say about me, oh, Keith's a hothead. Man, he's he just going to get in trouble the whole time. He ain't going to never amount to anything. He's always fighting. He's always getting into things. And I think about that, and that was true of my relationship then. That was true of my reputation then, too. My relationships were that way. In fact, Coco never wanted to go watch me play basketball. It was, it was a true thing because I was pretty good, you know what I'm saying? So when you're pretty good, when you're pretty good and you could go between your legs and around your back and you could do that, people, and you, and you talk trash, like, like, so I don't know if you played basketball, but I did. Get up. Get up. Get up. Come over here. So I'm taller than you, so it's good. A little bit. Come up here real quick. Come up here. <laughs> All right. So we're playing basketball. Yep. And, and you, yeah. <laughs> he got me, right? So I would just, I'd be talking trash while I'm dribbling like, yo. You want to jump or a layup? Shut up. I'm going to give you what I want to give you. Just like that. That's what I would say. Just shut up. I'll give you what I want to give you. 
And eventually, this guy would get tired of having somebody talk trash to him and want to lay hands on me. You know what I'm talking about? I would never do that. And, no, I know you wouldn't because I ain't going <laughs> to let you. Stop that. But, but, but my wife, my reputation was that I'm always getting a fight. I'm always going to mess up. It's going to always be ruined. And that was my reputation. Now, I brought you up here because you got a reputation too. And some of it you might want to change and some of it you might want to look at. But what I'm saying to you is that God brought you here to rewrite your story. And little by little, chapter by chapter, he's doing it. Stay put, stay rooted, and let God do it. All right? Come here. Love you. Love you, son. Come down. But that's how I would do it. And I just brought him up here just because I wanted to do that. Amen? What's your, repu what's your reputation? What do people say about you when you're not around? Do you ever think, did you, do you ever go to the end and, and think to yourself, what if my casket is laying in front of people? What would they say about how I live my life? What kind of friend was I? What kind of neighbor was I? What kind of brother or sister was I? You ought to think about those things because Naomi coached Ruth, mentored her, put her in the right position so that Boaz would see her, and because of her virtue and her moral and her loyalty and her morals and her integrity, Boaz took notice of her. Her reputation had gone before her, just like yours will go before you. It's good to have a good name. Isn't that right? Stand to your feet with me all over the building. Stand up. Come on. Lastly, let me say this to you. How many of you know that God will use the most unlikely people to do his purposes, to fulfill his purposes? Naomi and Ruth, by Ruth, most importantly, is the most unlikely character. She should not be written in the genealogy, in Israel's genealogy. She should not be in the world genealogy of Jesus. But there are other women that are in there, other suspect people in his genealogy. Ruth should not be one of them. She is a Moabitess. She shouldn't even have been married into. But God, say but God. I don't know how he does it, but God visits the trash receptacles of humanity and pulls out people. People that other people have thrown away, discarded, said they're always going to be addicted. They said that about me, by the way. He's addicted. He's angry. He's got issues. And I did. They weren't lying. But that just wasn't the end of my story. That wasn't the end. And God said, no, 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 I'm going to pluck him out. I'm going to snatch him out, by the way. Get over here. And I'm going to put him, plant him in my kingdom. I'm going to put mentors and brothers and sisters around him to show him because he never really had a family. Not you, me. Never really had a family. And I'm going to put all these resources. I'm going to put the abellos around him. I'm going to put the landults around him. I'm going to put the hills. and All of the people through the years that have been put in my life to show me what family is. I'm still struggling with it still learning. And they, they would say, yeah, Joker, you're still a little isolated and a little distant. And I can be that way because of where I've come from. But I would be worse without them. And God said, not so. Come here. But God putting you in here. Stay put. I'm going to build around you. I'm going to build you up. Stop moving around. Stop squirming around. That's for somebody. Stay put. You're always moving from one place to the next. Stay put. Develop roots in this season, in this house. And out of you will come fruit. Amen? Give the Lord a big hand clap right now. Come on. All right? I want every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment of time. You online as well. Just take a minute. Bow your head and your heart before the Lord. If you're here and you just say, like Ruth, 
like there's nothing but ashes in my life. It's nothing but ashes. You don't understand, Pastor Keith. We lost everything. I lost everyone. I want to show you an image real quick. Put the phoenix up real quick. I saw a woman uh, on an airplane recently who had a picture like this tattoo. Now, she was white because it wouldn't show up on me. Can you see why? But it was brilliant. I loved her. I'm so glad she was fair-skinned. But the phoenix in mythology is, is this idea that the phoenix comes out of the ash, out of the fire, and is reborn, regenerated, renewed. It, you know, it's a whole Greek mythology thing. But for her, what it was is she said out of the ashes, she was a cancer survivor. And she says, I've come out of the ashes. And she had this brilliant thing, like, tattooed on. I was like, oh, my God, can I see it? And she, you know, pulled the strap down a little bit, and I was like, don't take your clothes off. I just want to see the tattoo. Relax. <laughs> and we were on the airplane. And so I started thinking about that imagery. And that's what the world has to offer you, mythology. That's what the world offers. And I understand the symbolism for her. But I'm saying to you that Jesus can lift you out of the ash, not a myth. That's a myth. That's what the world buys, culture buys that. And I started telling her about Jesus. And I asked her if she even knew about the imagery and the symbolism, mythology, and all that thing. She's like, yeah, but I really don't believe that. I was like, great, because I want to tell you about Jesus. And that's what I started doing for the next 30 minutes. And I said, out of the ash of your life, the Lord has brought you out, not that image. Jesus gave you life. You got one more opportunity to serve him. She had, had a mastectomy and the whole thing. And she was like, yeah, I'm struggling, uh, just my identity as a woman and all of this stuff. And she just literally vomited her whole life in the airplane right there, had a chance to pray with her. She didn't give her life to the Lord, but she thanked me. And I'm here to tell you that whatever the ashes are of your life, you can be reborn out of that. And God will make sense of that mess, that chaos, and give you beauty for ashes. And he'll restore you fully. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. And have every head bow and every eye closed just for a moment of time. If you're here this morning, no fanfare. We're not going to play a a minute's worth of church games. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or you did, and you walked away from him, you find yourself estranged, but you want to come home this morning. You said, man, I need a Savior. I recognize that my life is nowhere near where it's supposed to be. I should be walking with God. I used to, but I don't anymore. Life, the story, whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. You're here this morning, and all that matters is that you would give Jesus your heart and make him the Lord of your life once again. If that's you, symbolize that with an uplifted hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I see your hand going up. Any other hand? I see your hand, girl. Anybody else? Okay, I see your hands. Look at me if you had your hand up. Did you mean it? Did you mean that? Did you mean it right here? You mean it? Okay, so here's what I want to do. You mean it back there? I want to pray with you personally, if you'll allow me. Would you just meet me right here, right now? Come in. Come on. Give them a big hand as they come this morning. Come on. Come on. Good morning. What's your name? Jeannie, good to meet you. Come on. Come on. You do better than that. Come on. Come on. Come on. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. I remember when I was called and the man of God did exactly what I just did. And he gave me a prayer to pray, but I'm not giving you a prayer to pray. Here's what I want you to do, because I want you to know from the beginning that God hears your voice, that he loves you, 
that he'll receive your repentance. You don't need my words. It's from your heart. It's from your heart. And here, here's, I want you to start the way that you're going to finish, in relationship with him. It's your relationship with him. Don't worry. You're fine. Give, give her a big hand. Come on. You're fine. Come here. There you go. So you start in relationship. And I just want you to take a minute. We're going to pray quietly. But I want you to take a minute. And just from your heart, just like, God, you know what? I've been rebellious. I've been wandering. I've been stubborn. I'm sorry. Would you come into my heart? You take up residence again. You bring me back in relationship. I believe that you're the son of God. That you died for the sins of the world. I appropriate that sacrifice today. That's okay. Yeah. Today? Stretch forth your hand in faith to them right now, all over the church. This is how you participate. Whenever we're praying down front, you get to participate, not spectate. And ask God to bless and to prosper, to keep. You know the enemy doesn't want them to continue or to walk with God. Pray. Whatever the Spirit would put on your heart to pray for them, that temptation or adversity or circumstances wouldn't take them out. That they would commit today and follow it the rest of their lives. Same with you online. If you were receiving Christ this morning, then type that and say, yes to Jesus. I said yes. Maybe people that will moderate and connect with you and get you started on your way as well, even though you're disconnected. I want you to say, to understand that we believe that the online part is only a small piece of an introduction. We want to see you in the family of God in a local church somewhere in your community when you feel comfortable enough to be there. Use this a sort of a resource but the real relationships come when we're face to face nose to nose with one another and we love you amen amen give the lord a big hand clap this morning come on. thank you so here's what i want you to do do me a favor do not go back to your seat yet i want to get a few pieces of information from you just so we can journey with you i promise you we won't put you on a mass mailing list Go with that man right there. He's a wonderful man of God. Go ahead, he'll show you where to go. Go ahead, give them a big hand clap right now. Come on. Hi. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep what? Investing in relationships. And I want you to keep inviting your friends, your loved ones, everyone. You, listen to me. You never know when God has arranged the circumstances of someone's life that an invitation, it is still the number one way that people find Jesus is through a relationship with somebody they know and trust. You cannot be content to come to church alone as a spectator. You have to participate in the mission of God, therefore finding significance and fulfillment. Now, keep praying for the church at large. We're gonna take the next 14 days because my family and a bunch of other families have been hit financially, relationally and health-wise. So for 14 days, at six in the morning, at noon, and at six at night, I'm asking you to stop whatever you're doing for a few minutes. Set the alarm on your phone 
set it somewhere so you remember. Six, 12, and six again. And if you want to do more, you can. But as a church, let's pray, not just for me, but for everybody. Cover our church for health, welfare, and prosperity. Now, I got to run out because I'm going get, to get home and figure out what's going on. I got a text while I was sitting here, so something's going on. So cover us in prayer. Amen? I love you. Go with God. God's going to go with you.